got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. What's happening? How's it going? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Why are you laughing? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not <laughs> laughing. No, I'm not. You looked at me and you started laughing. I, didn't, and I don't know I don't why. Know what you're talking about. Makes no. me feel nervous like I messed something up. I'm not laughing at Okay. Anything. Okay. No. Whatever. I'm not laughing. Whatever. He's Nick Springer. No. I'm Derek Johnson. It's all good. Okay. I'm not it's laughing. All good, man. <laughs> I'm literally not laughing. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Our I'm not CST laughing. is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Uh, we're going to have Matt Tate on the show today in the 4 o'clock hour. We also have a bunch of KU football audio we're going to get to you, or another KU football superlative segment. RCST trivia matchup coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, too. Jayhawk Rewind and some Florida Man Mad Libs with those coming in the 5 o'clock hour. Starting things off, though, yesterday was KU Football Media Day, and we shared you the Lance Leipold audio and talked about some of the few things that uh, were maybe most notable in some of the press conferences. But I wanted to go more in depth. The biggest takeaways for me among comments and just speaking with people at KU Football Media Day, I think, for one, the overarching theme um, would probably be, I don't know, man, just like the... The, the want to, the hunger to improve and not to settle yeah. on, on being six and six. Yeah. Not be complacent. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the best way of putting it. Uh, not being complacent. That seems to be the overarching theme, whether you talk to coaches, whether you talk to all the different players. And there, there, there are certain things that you can ask a coach, that you can ask a player, and you're going to get like the same answer whether it's something that is the exact same answer or if it's something that's the same like processed type answer. Like sometimes we talk about coach speak, right? Where a coach might be like, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna point out which guy's doing the best because that's gonna put guys down who uh maybe aren't playing as well or who deserve to be brought up, but I don't wanna make them think that I forgot about them, right? Like little things like that that you have yeah. now I think a notice in the program that everybody is very much on the same page. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And I think my other big takeaway was, uh, especially with the players, I was asking a lot of them about the differences this year in fall camp versus last year. And, and almost all of them, the overwhelming answer was usually something along the lines of, uh, you know, comfort level, the schedule, and something that has uh, has been talked about quite a bit, but maybe not been the focal point of a lot of conversation, uh, with especially with like Lance Leipold and stuff, is how much this coaching staff values utilizing time in a very, very efficient way. And that was something that kind of jumped out to me with a lot of the players and some of the coaches too, is that they this is they want their practices to be no time wasted, to be a well-oiled machine. Andy Kulnicki yesterday talked about how when they develop plays, they don't want to waste their time practicing plays that they might not use in games. So everything is about every, – the I guess the, one of the big overarching things that I've taken away from so far this fall camp has been it's been about time management. It's been about – Managing your time effectively and efficiently, and utilizing it in a correct way. And I can't remember who who mentioned this, but uh, they talked about with the new weight room that KU completed 
that basically allows KU to be more efficient as well with their with their training and everything as well. So that's something that stood out to me because a lot I, there were a lot of there were multiple players that I spoke to that were like, yeah, hey, the schedule of this year's camp is a lot more uh, well adjusted to making sure everything's flowing smoothly and everybody's you know getting in and getting out whatever and doing what they need to do. So that's that was I guess something that I took away is that it's clear that this staff has a plan in place for how they want it to look. And maybe this year is the first year, especially in, in like the fall camp format where they're able to sort of implement it in a way that they want because time basically in a, that's a way of saying time at fall camp during practices is not being wasted on correcting little things is not being wasted on explaining uh, a, a rep a second time mm-hmm. because this is a more experienced team. These are guys that have now been in the system. A lot of these guys, this is their second or third fall camp with Lance Leipold. Uh, so that that was kind of my big takeaway is that there's there's a lot of uh, you know offense has ten guys coming back, defense has a bunch of guys coming back, and basically what that allows what that has allowed this team to do is be much more efficient and quick with how they practice in fall camp, and they can get to more stuff more quickly because they don't have to waste time. I think it was uh, Brian Boyland who also talked about with uh, Cornell Wheeler and how at one point they were doing a walkthrough of like making checks and how they were able to get through it very, very quickly because Cornell Wheeler understood and was doing an excellent job of, of, of talking to the defense. And he basically explained, you know, last year that might've taken us 15, 20 minutes longer because we would have had to go back and say, Oh, we needed to redo this one. We need to redo that one. So that was kind of my, my big takeaway is that, and I think that that speaks to hopefully this team continuing to, to, to utilize that experience in a in a positive way and and maybe allows them to focus on you know it's it's kind of like that age old thing aim small miss small and it feels like this this fall camp they've been able to aim smaller with some things because there is much more guys coming back much more guys that understand what the system understand what they're getting into and they've been able to utilize that in fall camp yeah and I know that's something that's kind of circulating right now in social media um, Bill Connolly who does the ESPN SP plus his returning production numbers in Kansas being number one there, that they were one of the youngest teams in the country and in Power 5 last year. And when you just have another year in the program and you hear those stories that Nick just echoed uh, with having older players that have been in this now for a while, that's got to be worth something. So as much as we, when we've gone through our position previews, we have been at a lot of positions being like, yeah, that could be the same, right? Maybe we're not giving enough credence to how much just that is worth in terms of internal improvement. To make them better. Right. Yeah. And also today, like Matt Gildersleeve talked to the media and he kind of talked about um, some of the weight gains that they've had that I think when they first came in, they only had like single digits numbers of players who were hitting like 20 miles per hour running. Now it's like yeah. 60 or 70 of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, there was it's, a bunch it's huge of, There was a bunch of Night stats thrown out about, yeah. you know, the improvements physically for KU, which, you know, that listen at the end of the day there's two components to, to football there's the mental side there's the execution side but then there's also just the raw physical power side you know how big are you how strong are you how fast can you run all that stuff and if KU's making improvements in that area on top of the fact that they've got a bunch of guys returning and they you would think that means that they're going to improve on the mental side that points to a team that should be coming into this season with a lot of confidence in it and being able to improve and aim aim possibly even higher than a bowl game yeah uh, outside of that, uh, maybe some of the biggest conversation yesterday was about Jalen Daniels. It's clear the injury is still a thing. Uh, Lance Leipel talked about him missing other practices and, and missing recent practice. Also, again, he doesn't seem to be concerned by it. It is, I think, concerning 
From our standpoint, because this is like the third week in a row where right. Lance Leipold has said, well, if we're talking about it next week, I'll be concerned. And that's now happened for like three weeks. Yeah. And then again, there was Jalen being asked about it during media day. And he said if there was a game Saturday, he'd absolutely play. Um, so I guess. Yeah, th- this was this is something that was that kind of tangentially related to this. This is something that's brought up to me is that, you know, at the college level, a lot of schools don't have injury reports. No. They don't give out injury reports. Which injury I think reports. is really weird, right? Because yeah. I, I think a lot of colleges do it from a standpoint of competitive advantage, but, right? But, like, it's stupid. But NFL teams like, do it. Yeah, it's stupid. And, like, let me guess. When you get out on the field, you're going to see right. that a guy's not 100% right. if he's again, playing. NFL teams, who are the best teams in the world, <laughs> they give out the injuries all week no, it's, long. It's so stupid. I don't know what the secrecy is around. Also, and that's not just a Kansas thing. That's college yeah, football. No, it's, it's yeah. a cultural thing, yeah. but And also, I think it, it hurts from, like, out from like our perspective, from like an outside perspective, because we may be more critical of a guy that is maybe not performing to the level right. that we think we can be, when in reality maybe he's dealing with X, Y, or Z, whatever. Uh, so you know, I, I I just thought about that. That made me think about that a little bit. And and with the Jalen Daniels stuff, I'm not surprised that he would say that. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of guys. Uh, we've, there's actually been a whole. If you were to go back and sort of sift through all of the press conferences that Lance Leipold's given over the past couple of weeks. There's a list of about 15 to 20 guys that have that he has said have been limited throughout fall camp, right? Uh, in one way or another. So that I don't know how concerning that is, but I do think it's probably a situation where those are a lot of those guys would be guys that would be playing on Saturdays. Uh, that are just you know I think maybe KU's in a maybe KU feels like they're in a situation now where they don't need to push Jalen Daniels to get physical reps on the field because he understands the offense. They don't need to push a Taiwan Berryhill. They don't need to push a OJ Burroughs to be physically on the field for all of fall camp because they know that this they they know, hey, this guy already understands, you know, get them get him the mental reps, but he knows what to do physically on the field. So we're not going to try to rush him back for fall camp because we know we need him for the season. So I don't know. But the the, the injury thing did maybe think of that is like, you know, sometimes it's tough because we from the outside looking in, we're basically at the mercy of whatever Lance Leipold says when it comes to the health of some of these players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll we'll just kind of see how that progresses because it's it's going to be kind of tough to tell. But I, I guess if you do take it from Jalen and the coaches, it doesn't sound overly concerning. What's concerning to me is, again, if you go back to the past injuries and also you go to the idea that, well, even if he could play through it, you don't want him playing through injury all year long. That would not be ideal. No. Now, kind of sticking in that quarterback room, I think that was another big kind of takeaway for me from KU Football Media Day. It's pretty clear that Jason Ber- Jason Bean kind of has found a serenity in returning for himself, for KU as a program, them having him back. I mean, uh, you would have a lot more panic right now if Jalen Daniels, I think, was going through this injury stuff if you didn't have Jason Bean back. Now, I guess you could say if Jason Bean didn't come back, would that have increased the risk? Ethan Vasco, we're still on the program, possibly, but you still feel like Jason Bean um, gives you a better chance if he has to hit the field here in 2023 than it would be if it were Ethan Vasco. Um if if let's just say hypothetically though that Bean didn't return and he still didn't have Vasco at this point we'd be talking about Cole Ballard who I guess that's another key takeaway here that he seems pretty ingrained as QB three which on one hand yeah. is great for him he sounds like he is a very I mean I, I think we very, heard the term moxie yesterday yeah, very well spoken kid yeah well spoken kid he's he's uh, a guy who has good intangibles and uh, good timing and kind of the the mental acumen of the game which is so important for the quarterback it's also though a true freshman walk on quarterback. 
if Jason Bean weren't here, he would be the backup. That would be very scary with Jalen being injured. But fortunately, having Jason Bean back, I think yeah. that gives you serenity as a KU staff. And he just seemed very calm, cool, and collected. I mean, he's always been a pretty calm kid to begin with, but he's been kind of calm and quiet. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe, he's maybe more, this he's is more just, of an introverted guy. Yeah, he seemed a little bit more open but while also being calm and cool in this type of event, I don't know if you want to take that to being anything, but I mean, it, it it just seems like to me, he is in a place of kind of serenity. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of rave reviews about Jason Bean, and I'm glad that we've, there's been more people talking about him. With I think Jim Zabrowski today yeah, said, said he, in 30 years of coaching, yes. he's the made most, made the most progress of any players ever seen any, which is insane. Yeah. Lance Leipold gave a, a five minute, you know, answer, basically just talking about kind of the same thing with what he's done and, and what he's meant to this program. And so it's clear that Jason Bean's presence is valued within the program, and it's clear that he's making an impact even if even if he maybe doesn't get to play that much because Jalen Daniels ends up being the guy. But I think it's pretty clear that – I think it seems pretty obvious that they're probably going to have a lot of different packages with Jason Bean involved. Multiple different players that I overheard talking to all said that Jason Bean was the fastest player on the team. Mm-hmm. So, And I asked him about that, and he said it's still me. So Yeah, so if you're the fastest player on the team <laughs> – You got a big smile anyway. It's still If me. you're the fastest player on the team, you're probably going to be getting on the field yeah. one way or the other, especially with a guy like Andy Kolnicki drawing up plays. So uh, I think that's – Really, really exciting to see. I mean, you know, you think about, you think about how Jason Bean could have ended not not just his KU career but his college career, right? I mean, it, it, all indications pointed to, it sounded like maybe he was just gonna walk away after mm-hmm. last season, and then with the way things ended in the Arkansas game, you know, what for whatever reason the staff maybe talked to him or whatever he decided that you know he was gonna come back and and give it another shot, and and I think KU at this stage is probably very very grateful that he made that decision. Because as you alluded to with the Jalen Daniels stuff and with the fact that with no Jason Bean, you'd be looking at Cole Ballard as your backup, which is not a knocking against Cole Ballard. It's just no, you, know, it's you just, have the idea of having two power five yeah. quarterbacks basically as your backup and your starter is is very significant. Right. Um, so, yeah, those, those are all things of interest. And that QB room just generally is of interest, I guess. It does speak very well of Cole Ballard. It does give you some questions about, you know, what are you going to get possibly from Mikey Pauly and Ben Easters. But uh, who knows? Maybe Ballard will be on scholarship as soon as next year, and maybe he's just somebody who was extremely under-recruited, and KU found a diamond in the rough. Um, Another big takeaway I had was the – I don't even know if this is a takeaway. It's just I I thought this was a funny comment, but I thought it made a lot of sense. What did you think of Andy Kotelnicki's comment about uh, KU comparing the offense to being a giant bucket of Legos? (laughs) It's just classic Andy Kovic. Yeah. I, mean, I don't even really know what else to say beyond that. Uh, but there was, I was looking around the room when he was discussing, <laughs> when he was talking about that, and there was some, there was some confused faces, I would say. <laughs> uh, because, you know, I mean, most people understand Legos and, you know, but not everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, you put them together, you know. You I loved pieces. it. I thought it made a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right? No, it made sense. No, it made sense to guys yeah. like you and me. But I'm saying, like, <laughs> you know, older people, older, you know, people who maybe didn't play with Legos when they were a kid. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I, man, dude, I don't know, man. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. You know? But yeah, I, I it's classic Andy. I don't know what else to say. I mean, yeah. that's just what he does. He he comes up with really, really weird analogies that sometimes kind of work. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those cases. No, but you know what? It's so funny. Like, now that I think about it, I, I feel like if you were to stereotype offensive coordinator and stereotype a defensive coordinator, 
Your yeah. immediate thought for defense coordinator is tough, gritty, grimy. Sure. We'll sleep on the couch, you know, yeah. whatever. When you think of offensive coordinator, it is more of like the creative, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint a picture. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's just different, and it, it's just oh, funny. Yeah. It, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No, just, yeah, no, yeah. You just see the. I think you can actually take some of that creativity that you hear from Andy Kotelnicki in press conferences and be like, oh, you're a creative person. That's why you are fine having a creative offense. You yes. know, right? Yes. So I think yes. it makes sense. Uh, another big key or another big, I guess, takeaway or a thing that was mentioned in this, Ronald McGee is going to be out for the year at the defensive tackle spot. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a sad story, really. Yeah, very. Um, hopefully he can get, I, I don't know if he'll be able to get like a medical well, redshirt. Well, as far as I know, this is like already his fifth or sixth year, right? Yeah, I think this was year six. So he was a guy who he transferred, from transferred Buffalo, in from Buffalo but yeah, after being a JUCO guy. Yeah, but recognized when he transferred in that he probably wasn't going to play. And so he he transferred in as like a junior or senior and opted to redshirt last year, knowing that he was maybe going to have a chance this year. And then uh, yeah, he played trans- 11 games in 2022 also, or 2021. 2021. 2021. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, last year he, he redshirted because he was like, oh, we have all these upperclassmen. I'll come back next year. Um, I don't know that he would have been like I think I, I think the two deep had been forming, but still, even if he's the first D tackle off the two deep or the second one, there's a chance that you're rotating in, you're making an impact, you're getting in games, you're giving him another body out there. Uh, that's that's a unfortunate loss for KU. Sounds like maybe Tony Terry is going to move over to D tackle to maybe give them another body there. Um, but just for him personally, yeah, you you sacrifice a year redshirting. Hopefully, he yeah. can get a medical redshirt so that he can come back next year too. I would hope so. Yeah. I don't know. But with dude, with the NCAA's buffoonery, who knows? Yeah, you never know. And then uh the other part of this back to the D tackle room, there was a lot of talk about Devin Phillips yeah. elevating the defensive tackle room. And a lot of good talk has been made really ever since camp started about how Devin Phillips is is kind of living up to the hype, so to speak, about you know transferring over and they've gotten everything yeah. they wanted Just and more. Being a big dude who yeah. can plug holes, but also has the athleticism to kind of make plays down the line of scrimmage. So right, and you know when I when I try to think back on like past transfers that they've brought into the program, you've been able to maybe if you read between the lines enough, like discern which guys are going to play the biggest roles and which are not. Like with Lonnie Phelps, you heard a lot of stuff that this guy was going to be kind of you know freaky out there yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. Same with like Craig Young, yeah. But it was always kind of interesting because yeah, there were maybe a few comments here or there about like a guy like Eric Gilliard or Lorenzo McCaskill, but there was never like that that same level of those guys. And looking back, maybe yeah. that was indicative of where things were at the beginning of the year last year. When I look to this, and and you hear all that about Devin Phillips, I I if if I'm going to create buckets of like oh, so now transfers. you're stealing from Andy Kolnicki. I you're guess gonna so. Make buckets. Well, wait. What was what was that? With Andy he had a Kolnicki? bucket of Legos. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I guess so you're if just I'm gonna steal the bucket now. No, if I if I'm like using different buckets and I have different buckets of of recent KU football transfers and I'm like, there's the Craig Young bucket, which is you're a good player right away. You come in, you're a good player right away, possible starter. There's the Lorenzo Lorenzo McCaskill bucket, which is the bucket of, um. You had a lot of talent, but you came in and maybe you came in late or things just, you know, you never got up to the point where you were. It took some time to click. Yeah, it took some time to click. Um, Then there's the Doug Emelian bucket, which is maybe more of like the, it's a long-term addition, not a short-term addition, which was the case, I think, with Emelian, who came in as a redshirt freshman. Um, And then maybe you would add one, which is like the Eric Gilliard bucket, which is more like the, you're going to play right away, you're going to be a rotational player, but you're not going to be like a starter. 
if I was looking at those four different buckets of transfer players you brought on and I was sifting guys in and out, like Spencer Lavelle might fall into the Eric Gilliard bucket, you know, where it's like he's going to be a good body. He'll provide good depth for the team, but um, probably going to be more of a backup type player. If if I'm sorting Devin Phillips into one of those, it's going into, I think, the Craig Young bucket for me. That yeah. I expect him to be yeah. a good player. I expect him to be a starter right off the bat. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I think he's pretty much guaranteed to be a starter at this point, I would say, on the interior of the D-line. Uh, just because of everything we've heard about him and and uh, like you alluded to, you know, with all that stuff. So that's that's a really positive thing because, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting – had John Kirby on the show earlier this week, and he was basically talking about how the the D the D line, especially on the interior, might have been a position group that back in like June or July you might have been like, eh, not feeling very great about that. To where now all of a sudden you feel maybe pretty good about it because Devin Phillips has been getting a lot of a lot of talk, and then Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers are two guys that have also been getting a lot of talk as well as sort of players that were young last year and saw a little bit of time, but really have a chance to step up and be uh, a real significant guy that takes a lot that ha- takes a lot of snaps and is, and is a valuable part of that interior of that defense. So that gives me a little bit more positivity about the interior of the D-line, certainly. Yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to actually hear from a couple D-linemen, more defensive ends, though, with some audio coming up on the other side. We've got Matt Tate joining us at 4 o'clock. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're about a quarter till four. Matt Tate's going to join us at 4.05. We have RCST football trivia right after that. Uh, we're going to do another KU football superlative segment. We've got these folded up pieces of paper. Each one has a different KU football superlative on it, and uh, we're each going to draw one. I don't know. We'll see how long this first one goes to see if we draw a second. <laughs> um, okay, here is uh, the one. The Big 12 game you feel best about for KU. So the Big 12 game on KU's football schedule mm. that you feel best about them winning. Interesting. Well, uh, the answer to this has probably changed over the past month or so because of the fact, because of some uh, accentuating circumstances that have affected some teams on KU's schedule. Yes. Uh, Most one notably team. being yeah. one Iowa State. However, that game is on the road. So does that make it Near the top of your list, are you putting that at number one? Well, here I'm. I'm just gonna I'm gonna run through a couple that I just want to throw out of this conversation. Not me okay. saying that they can't win them, just me saying that it it's clear that these would not be the game that you should feel best about, okay. right? Yep. Texas on the road. Yep. For sure, you should not feel best about that. Yep. Oklahoma at home, you should not feel best about that. Yep. And Kansas State at home, I don't think you should feel best about that. Yep. They've beaten you so many times lately. Again, not to say you can't win any of those games. It's just which you feel best about. There's going to be games that you feel better about than those. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at Iowa State on the road, BYU at home, and UCF at home is maybe sort of my top three. Yeah, it's tough to even with Oklahoma State. We both have a lot of questions about them, and they didn't look good against Kansas last year. They didn't look yeah. good without Spencer Sanders. Yeah, they but still. Yeah. It's like Mike Gundy's a good coach. You're playing him on the road. Playing him on the road. Are you really going to give that your best? And again, I, I just want to reemphasize. I don't, I'm not saying that KU can't win Big 12 games on the road because they yeah. can't. They did last year. But I am still, right now, today, not going to sit here and confidently say KU will win a Big 12 road yeah. game. Why? Because prior to last season and, the, and, the, and when they beat Texas on the road, they hadn't won a Big 12 road game in 50 years. In 100 years. <laughs> In 9,000 years since the sun exploded. 
since the earth was formed. Okay. So you're not you're not putting uh, Texas Tech at home in there. Well, I don't think I just think not. I would feel better. Level as those yeah, guys. I don't feel bad about fair. that game. I don't feel bad about Texas Tech, but I don't feel I don't feel as good Texas about Texas Tech. I think is definitely sure. a better team than BYU or UCF. Okay. So therefore, I feel better about BYU or UCF. Probably. I agree. I just wanted to go through the process. Uh, what about at Cincinnati? Cincinnati I by think, some is being picked as a three or four win. No, team. I know. It's the also issue on the road. with Cincinnati game is it's the last game of the season, so I just have a really hard time figuring out what they're going to be. Yep. Uh, so I don't want I don't want to sit here today and say that I'm most confident in that game because I I don't know I mean they have a new coach they have a lot of new a lot of new players a lot of turnover I don't really know what to expect from them so it's hard for me to say one way or the other that I feel confident about KU winning that game considering it's the last game of the season all right so that brings us back down to at Iowa State versus BYU versus UCF yes. I think UCF is better than BYU you think so yeah yeah. I mean, I think what UCF was consistently getting picked the highest out of the four new team newcomers, right? So then you look at BYU. It's your first conference game. It is BYU's first ever conference game in the Big Twelve. So does that help them though? That they're going to be extra hyped up for yeah, it. I would think it helps BYU. And that's always that's always the knock when you have a team who wasn't in a Power Five going to a Power Five. It's the idea that yeah, you can beat anyone on your schedule. It's just that when you play them repeatedly, the depth is going to show yeah. out over time, and that's where it's going to hurt you. And but so if, if you're playing them, game, this, yeah, yeah, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I don't know. So would you sure. almost go Iowa State? Well, the other issue with the BYU game is I think my confidence level in KU in the BYU game is kind of dependent on how they do in the non-con. If they, you know, lose to Illinois and maybe it's a close game against Nevada or something like that, I maybe am not going to go into that game with as much confidence as I would if they are, say, 3-0, right? So that's kind of my issue with picking that game is I, I, I'm I, a little nervous about the start of the season and if if KU, like I said, if they, you know, if they drop one of their first three non-con games – and uh, you know, or they play Missouri State close, or they play Nevada close, or something like that. I'm not going to feel as good about it. So then that that circles back to Iowa State. And for those that aren't maybe fully aware of the story, as it goes, basically at this point, a majority of Iowa State's team, including their starting quarterback Hunter Deckers, uh, has been involved in the, an ongoing sports betting situation of players actively betting on games on their own team on their own games because Iowa was involved in this as well and so there are legitimate questions about Iowa State's roster who's going to be on it who's not going to be on it because there's a lot of evidence that would suggest that a guy like Hunter Deckers is probably not going to be their starting quarterback and I think they've got a couple guys on their defense too that are better high level players that maybe not are not going to be on their team yeah. So there's a lot of questions surrounding Iowa State. And also you get him in November, which the Matt Campbell, like when he does the best, is usually October. So I guess <laughs> that's a positive. Yeah. So that's why you maybe look at Iowa State and say, okay, maybe uh maybe that's a game that suddenly you do feel really, really positively about because if they are missing a lot of key players that are, you know, either suspended or even kicked off the team potentially because of the gambling situation, then all of a sudden Maybe you can go in there and yeah. get a win. I think the uh, the alternative is what if the Iowa State game is just like the game this year, where like it doesn't matter who their starting quarterback and running back is. It's just a <laughs> defensive just, game, you know. It's just yeah. going to come down to field goals and special teams. Um, yeah, I think those are the right answers, though. All right, I, I think we got time for for one more quick right. one. 
So are you agreeing with Iowa State, or are you, are you picking somebody else? It's crazy because, yeah, Iowa State, before all this stuff has happened, I don't even you know if I'd have them in the top three. Yeah, you wouldn't pick them. Probably. But I think they are number one at this point. Most underrated addition to the team. Ooh, okay, so this would be freshmen or transfers, uh, transfers right? Yes. Okay. Hmm. So I think your options are Dylan McDuffie at running back, which I think is that's a pretty, good underrated I think that's one. A pretty yeah, good option, honestly. Uh, you could then go to the defense because, like, have, I don't think Jameel Croft is like underrated. I don't think Calvin no. Clements is underrated, right? No, no. So you look at Dylan McDuffie. Ooh. You go to the defense. You could look at Tony Terry, but again, some of the when you sit, some of these guys probably aren't going to play this year. Like Calvin Clements is not going to play. Sure. Tony Terry probably won't play. I mean, JB Brown, depending on your thoughts on him. For me, could be underrated, but I don't maybe. know if he's seen. Uh, maybe that's not underrated enough. Demarius McGee, that could be a good one. He could maybe uh, he gets on Joyner, the field his fourth corner. Patrick Joyner or Austin Booker, either one yeah. of those guys. Um, is Logan Brantley, Logan Brantley is that enough to be underrated? Because he's you been getting a lot of Logan. hype lately. But no, he has. You could. I mean, when maybe, he first came in, he wasn't like a top, you know, fifteen hundred yeah. recruiter. Or I think you could maybe throw him in there. What about Taylor I mean, Davis? Uh, heard a lot of good things about him. I don't know how much he's going to play this year because you have so many safeties already. But uh, someone I've heard good things about with him coming in as a true freshman, as a safety. Yeah. Yeah, I think the issue is with this, on the offensive side of the ball, you really only have like one or two options. Well, it's like how do you classify what is underrated and overrated? I mean, we wrote these questions. This is probably our <laughs> fault. But Yeah, why don't you ask yourself that? I know, question? right? No, I mean, like, like I look at Dylan McDuffie and like, I, I don't think he's expected to be somebody that contributes a lot. Um, I mean, he's probably going to be your third or fourth running back. But what if he's like a really, really valuable special teams player and he is a very reliable, you know, third string guy where you can bring in and you know what he's, and you know he's right. going to be reliable. Well, what if, what if there's be, another injury to Devin Neal or Daniel Highshaw? Exactly. Then he probably definitely becomes one of the most underrated additions. Okay, what about this pick? Seth Keller. True, yeah. Or Damon Greaves. Or Damon Greaves, yeah. Yeah. Which, by oh, the way, okay. That, that might actually be the answer because those are the ones that probably not a lot of people are going to be really necessarily focusing on. No. But could have the biggest impact, certainly. By the way, I asked Damon Greaves when I was talking to him because I've Graves? heard some people say Graves and others say Greaves. Yeah. And I go, is it Greaves or Graves? And he goes, Graves. So it's Graves. I was like, oh, so it's Graves. And he's like, no, the first one you said. So he's like, no, so it's so an Australian Greaves. Act. So it's an Australian accent. Greaves Australian sounds like Graves. <laughs> so for me or you to say it, we need to say Greaves. But if you hear him say it, it'll sound like Graves. So it's kind of a funny thing, nonetheless. But yeah, I think I think either of them could be because yeah. again, just inherently, kickers and punters are going to be underrated. Yeah. And if Seth Keller comes in and you go from having the worst kicking situation in the Big Twelve to so having like, middle of the pack exactly, or like upper half, middle or, of the pack, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a huge difference in how you can approach play calling and coming with points on drives. Not just the points it changes, but the momentum it keeps up for your offense. Um, I don't know, man. That that might be up there. Yeah. No. Now that now that I think about it, those are probably your top two answers. But and then I think if you go to the offense, it's probably Dylan McDuffie. Dylan McDuffie. If you go to the defense, maybe Demarius McGee uh, or maybe one of those D linemen. If one of them, you know, Patrick. Joyner, I mean, maybe Austin Tony Booker, Terry. I right? just don't know if he's going to play this. Year. I don't either. Yeah, it, this does become a question of does it, it does have to be for this like year? Calvin Clements, like he could maybe be right. underrated, but this if he doesn't play this year, then it's not okay. Then I do want to go back to JB Brown because the expectation right now to me feels like he's not going to be a starter right off the bat. I don't know, man. He's he there is. are people that talk about him a lot as being you know the hardest hitter on the team. Yeah, you know. But as of like a few days ago, 
you ask most people their projected starting lineups, it's the linebackers are Craig Young, Rich Miller, Taiwan Berryhill. Yeah. And I think Berryhill's going through some sort of injury in camp, yeah, so maybe a, that changes things. I think he's got a hamstring. Yeah, yeah. so I, I don't know how that's going to impact things. But I would not be shocked if by the end of the year, and I'm very scared saying this because I said this last year about Lorenzo McCaskill, but I'm ready to be hurt again. I would not be shocked by the end of the year if I'm, I'm not counting Craig Young for this conversation because I'm counting him as a different position. If J.B. Brown is your best linebacker by the end of the year. And for that reason, if you're saying right now he might not be a starter and that could end up happening, that's underrated to me. Well, I think he, even if he's not a starter to start the year, it seems like it's pretty clear he he's going to play a decent amount of snaps. He will. But if he's the best linebacker, he has that's to a be a starter. No, that is a big, a big jump, jump, right? That's a big yeah. jump for sure. Yeah. Okay. So that that's where I'll go. That's where I'll go for my uh, most underrated there. All right. Uh, since I since I drove to Australia, people forget I drove to Australia. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> saw Damon Greaves. <laughs> Took the I forty four. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with him. Okay, go with him is my right, most underrated edition. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, one hour down, two to go. Matt Tate, RCST trivia, more football audio, Jayhawk rewind, Florida Man ad libs, plenty to come here on RCST. This is KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now by Matt Tate of uh, R1S1KU, powered by the Perpetual Sports Network. And you can check out all of Matt's work at R1S1Sports.com, uh, previewing the upcoming football season, doing features with different players, uh, plenty more coverage. Check it out again, R1S1Sports.com. Uh, Matt, thanks for hopping on today. Uh, before we get into some football stuff, Media Day was yesterday. Uh, KU announced their new stadium that, that's going to be going up. And uh, I guess at this point, uh, w- with everything that was announced and, and maybe still, I, I don't know if there's any questions that you have left about what's going to happen with this or that. Uh, what to this point feels like the biggest win with the stadium? And what to you just remains the biggest question about, you know, wh- what is this going to look like or, or what is that going to be? Well, I asked them today where the press box is going to be because I was curious about that. And uh, I guess we're getting moved to the corner. Um, so a lot a lot of Big 12 stadiums, a lot of stadiums around the country have, have the press area kind of tucked in the, in the corner, uh, like usually the northwest corner of, of a stadium, I think. So that was something I didn't learn the other day. Um, and, you know, that's only relevant to a handful of us. Most of the general public won't care about that. What they should care about is how freaking cool that thing looks. Um, I've been around here a long time, obviously, and and heard and seen and and talked to people about all kinds of different visions and plans and hopes for what they might be able to do there someday. Everything from, you know, tear it down completely and rebuild to, you know, a day at a time, a, a project at a time, just kind of fixing it as you go sort of thing. And, and I think this is this is by far the best of both worlds there. I mean, they don't have to tear the whole thing down. They don't have to move for a season. They don't have to do anything like that. But when it's done, when this thing is, is open in 2025 and and they're through that first phase, um, I think you'll, you'll look at, at something that looks like you know, it looks like it, it, it was torn down and started fresh and brand new. And, and that's a credit to the people who have put a ton of time into the plans and working on this and, and the vision and all of that. So, uh, I mean, the biggest win is just the fact that it's, that it's done, man. The, the, the biggest win is the fact that this is actually in motion and it's, and it's, it's not still a hope. It's not like, well, we'll see. I mean, this is happening. The first phase will be done and, you know, barring some crazy weather issues or anything like that, it will be done in time for the 2025 season, which isn't that far away. So 
I thought the event, I thought the announcement, the ceremony, unveiling the whole thing was, was first class all the way, um, as impressive as anything I've seen in any sport, um, any announcement, anything KU's ever done. So um, I, I thought Travis Goff's words that, that stood out most to me that day on, on Tuesday um, were, were really the most important things that I heard because this is a guy who's largely responsible for this. This is a guy who's made this happen with the help of a lot of other people, of course. And even he is sitting there saying the magnitude of this, the, what this truly means, the scope, the importance, all that stuff is not something that any of us can really grasp and understand until many, many, many years down the road. And, and to me, this is one of those things that, yeah, it's going to be cool for Travis and a bunch of KU people, um, fans included, to go through it in real time and kind of enjoy it and live it and watch it come to life. But let's talk 20 years from now when people are looking back on how this happened and, and how it, it came to, to be and, and what, what went into making it a reality. I mean, I, I think that's when you'll reflect and people will look back and go, wow. That was really cool because it's going to be first class. It's going to be, you know, a, a beautiful facility, and, and I think it's 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 going to bring Kansas football into into that realm of of where they believe they should be and where you need to be if you want to be a player in the Power Five world today. We're talking with Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com here on Rock Truck Sports Talk. Uh, yesterday was also KU Football Media Day, and we got a chance to hear from coaches, coordinators, and and a ton of the different players that were there. Uh, what's uh, maybe some of the top storylines or, or what stood out to you most about, you know, some of the players you got to hear from and some of the the sights and scenes you got to see as part of media day yesterday? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it continues to carry over from what we've seen throughout the off season. And that's the fact that these guys are, are two things. They're one really confident. They believe in themselves. They believe in this team. They believe they can have a great season better than last year. But, while that's happening, while they're projecting that vision and vibe and, and, and sort of sense about themselves, they're also very humble. They, they are also absolutely going to be the first to tell you, like, six and seven wasn't the goal. Like, what, what, what they did last year wasn't their, their biggest hope, their biggest vision. They want more than that. And, you know, we've seen that throughout the offseason. We saw that during the spring, and, and we see that continue now. I think so much of that is the leadership um, both from the coaching staff, but also from the players that are the leaders on this team. And there are a bunch of them um, that they, they've made it very clear that, that what happened last year, while it was wonderful, uh, was truly just the start and something that they want to be, you know, using to build upon, not something that they can look back and say, Oh, that was great. Look what we did. You know, they don't think they did anything. I mean, they realized the importance of what last season meant, but for their goals, for their visions, for their hopes, for what this program is, yeah, they don't they don't really feel like they've done anything yet. So I think that was clear. Um, and and when you get to talk to almost forty players in the same day, uh, which is what Media Day has has kind of become, and and is a wonderful thing to get to talk to that many guys. Um, you know, you you really get a sense that that's not just a, sort of a a few players feel that way. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely what this team believes and, and how they're all moving forward and operating and approaching this season. So um, that stood out. You know, it, it's great to talk to some faces and some names uh, of, of people that, that, you know, you've heard a little bit about as camp has moved on. I, I got a, a nice interview with Cornell Wheeler, a linebacker who right now I think is on that second unit, but 
certainly making some noise and, and showing, you know, the kid that came from Michigan and uh, he, he just hasn't found it here yet, but, but it sounds like it's close and, and he could be a factor this year. Um, so I'll have something on him in the near future. Uh, same with Logan Brantley, a freshman from Denver. Um, he, he's another name that keeps coming up and really talented young man, a guy that can really play and, and has a really bright future. Uh, I dove in with him a little bit on just kind of who he is, what he's about. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. I, I'll say this too, since, since we're here in Lawrence and talking about this, uh, free state kid, man, Calvin Clements, um, knew him at free state, have seen him at KU now. Uh, he, he's, he's a stud. Um, and, and he's mature and physically he looks so good and he's already, I think with the second unit and had some reps with the ones, uh, from sort of a depth standpoint. I mean, that, that kid's future is insanely bright and, and, uh, the list just goes on and on and on, man. So those will be, those will be a lot of fun. I I think even a a guy like Jason Bean, you look at his story, right? I mean, Jalen Daniels is, is a superstar and, and yet Jalen, or I'm sorry, Jason Bean is still finding a way to be relevant and finding a way to, to live it up and enjoy his experience here. And when you look at what he was when he got here and what he is now, I mean, that, that transformation, and Lance talked a lot about this yesterday too, like I think Lance Leipold will forever hold a really, really special place in his memory and heart for Jason being the player, Jason being the person. Um because I think he said it yesterday. I think he said that, that he embodies everything that, that this program wants to be about, just that resilience, work, get better, get better, don't worry about what happens or doesn't happen, just put in the time, put in the effort. And, and, and Bean's done that, you know, largely as a backup, but, but he's been a huge part of this team in a lot of ways, both on the field and, and just as a leader. So there's a story to be written there, too, and um, – you know, I'm looking forward to kind of jumping into that too. So it, it, it's a great time, man. Media day, you know, it's, it's four hours. It's a grind. You know, you know the deal there. Um, that's, that's a long time to stand there and talk to people and, and for them to talk to us too, I'm sure. But it's one of those days that you, you feel like you could keep going for another five hours. I mean, it's just the, the, the opportunity to, to kind of dig in and really get talking with some of these kids is, is phenomenal. And so there's a lot of cool stuff and, and a lot of fun stuff. I just posted a Kenny Logan story um, that came from yesterday, sort of a quick throwaway thing. But, but as Kenny was walking out of the, out of the facility yesterday, he, he stopped and realized, I think, you know, this was my last one and um, there's going to be a lot of lasts for Kenny. And so I talked to him a little bit about that and, and that story's up right now. And, you know, just kind of an easy, fun, fun throwaway thing to, to look at a, a part of that that maybe you know isn't necessarily about X's and O's, but but about how a guy, a guy like that is feeling uh, as he goes into the season. That, that again, he's going to have his last home opener. He's going to have his last conference game. He's going to have his last road trip. He's going to have his last game period. He's going to have his last tackle. I mean, it's going to be a lot of those, and uh, he he seems ready for that. It, it's a cool story. So um, great day. Um, you know, we're two weeks out from from kickoff and. And uh, this is going to be a fun team to watch. I have no idea. You'll probably ask me a week or two from now for a prediction. Uh, I hope you give me that time because I don't know what I would predict right now. I, I know these guys believe that they're way better than ninth place in the Big 12, and, and uh, you know, they're eager to go out and prove that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, we'll, we'll get to that game week, I guess, uh, when, when we can get you the final <laughs> prediction. And, and I don't know, I, I guess see if anything else has developed with uh, the Jalen Daniels back situation, which KU doesn't seem uh, overly worried about. But, you know, obviously that is something to, to keep monitoring here going forward. Uh, when, when you go back to the beginning of camp to where we are now, uh, whether it's been just over the comments of the last couple weeks from different coaches, from talking to the players, uh, from just being around practice, is there a player you feel like whose stock has maybe risen the most from the beginning of camp to right now? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it you know, it might be Wheeler to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity at that linebacker position, and there are a lot of bodies there too. I mean, Craig Young's a guy that that we know he can play, and this could be a breakout year for him. JB Brown is a new guy, um, the hardest hitter on the team, and. They're really counting on him to be good, but but we got to see it first, right? Like, will he? Um, you, you know, and then of course you got Rich Miller, and and there's some other Logan Brantley who I just mentioned too is a freshman, so it's hard to count on him too much. But the way he's played, his name has certainly been one that that's you know probably progressed as well as anybody throughout camp. I think that's on a relative scale, though. I think you have to you have to look at the progression of a freshman in camp different than you do maybe a guy who you're you're counting on. So for me it's Wheeler probably because um he's got the the opportunity now. They 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 keep talking about it. It looks like it's clicking for him and he's finally getting it and he understands not only what his role is here but also what they want to do here and how he fits into that and how he can play. Um, without thinking, without worrying about it, just play fast. And, uh, you know, he's a talented physical dude and can run sideline to sideline. And so if he can work his way into a starting role, obviously that's massive. I mean, that would be a real, real big move um, from the start of camp to now. It may be hard for him to do that, and that speaks to the depth and the talent in front of him. But even if uh, he doesn't end up being a starter, like any one of those guys has, an off day or maybe an injury of some kind or whatever, it seems to me like he's positioned himself to be ready to, to be thrown in there. And, and Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator said yesterday, flat out, like, Hey, I, I'd be comfortable with him being out there. And man, that's, that's big news. You know, that that's not, that's one player, one position, but it's still big news because I think what this program is doing and has been doing is, trying to develop that you know it's it's one thing to have a handful of guys who can play but you need to have depth and and talent up and down the roster you need to have those guys pushing the starters you need to have those guys available and ready to go in case they're called on or something crazy happens and and we're starting to see that now so um you know wheeler wheeler's probably the answer if i had 25 more minutes to think about it i'd probably come up with a couple more but just off the top of my head uh, that that's definitely a big one and and then you know like the defensive line is, has been a huge story of camp, too, and I'm sure you've talked about it plenty. Um, th- as a group, that might be the group that you're looking at the most. Um, they need them to be good, and, and I think there's a lot of reason to believe they, they have enough pieces. They, they may not have a Lonnie Phelps Jr. coming off the edge like they did last year, but it sort of sounds like that's going to be a by-committee thing, and, and I think their scheme can help create some pressure. Um, they may use some of those linebackers to create a little more pressure than they did in the past. So uh, that defensive line, Austin Booker is a name that really jumps out too. He's a newcomer and uh, you stand next to him, you watch him run, you look at him play. I mean, that's, that's what you want him to be. That's what you want him to look like. And, and he's a big, physical, fast dude. And, and so um, there's a lot of talent on that defensive line. Devin Phillips transferred from Colorado State's another guy that jumps out. But 
Um, but those are some names that I think ha- have had really good camps and, and also are guys that are in position to, you know, really make an impact and, and an important one. So we'll see if they do it. You know, they, they got to show up and deliver, but they're certainly right there, and, and the opportunity should present itself for them to do that. Well, uh, we have some RCST trivia coming up uh, later in the show here. Ryan Goodwin lost in the first round of trivia. Now, he did win his division. He made it to the playoffs. He you know, scored 17 points in a playoff game, which would have won him a lot of matchups. He he lost on a gutsy way going for a hard. So what is the legacy? What What is the, the thought process around Ryan Goodwin at this point? Has he done enough to, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, answer the question of put up or shut up? Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's perfect. I'm glad you brought it up because um, I was aware of that result, and and I think I think when it comes to RCST trivia and kind of what we've been talking about this whole interview, you know, Ryan Goodwin really is kind of the Kansas Jayhawks of trivia right now. Um, <laughs> you know, he made a bowl game this year that was big, but I, but I can tell you that that's not his goal right that's not that's not the, the thing he just wants to get to a bowl he wants to win championships he wants to you know be a be a player and he wants to be respected and and so I think him going out on that hard question that that was part of that it was sort of the culture the standard that he has he's laying that foundation and, and setting that, those expectations that you know we're not just going to drag this out with a bunch of easy questions and try to hope something slips no I, I'm going to put my best foot forward, I'm going to play hard, and, and, you know, that's what Kansas is doing right now. So if you can sum it up, and maybe this is something you could do, you know, maybe you could break down your, your trivia players and, and those who made the, the tournament round there, and you could compare each one to a football program that exists in, in, in college athletics right now. And, and if, if you do that, I mean, I think Ryan Goodwin's easily the Kansas Jayhawks. So don't sleep on him. Don't write him off. You know, he has to show more. There's no question. I mean, he, 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 uh, he had a nice first step here and needed to have that step. But um, the expectations moving forward should be higher than ever. And, and I'm sure he'll put in the work. I mean, the, the, guy, the guy just, like, sleeps with a media guy by his bed. And he wakes up and, you know, doesn't really even eat. He just starts <laughs> studying. I mean, he, he's already preparing for next year, I'm sure. So I think he's earned a chance to come back and, and, and do it again next year. And, and uh, you have to respect him for trying that hard question. And, and it was a hard question. Yep. It was a really hard question. I mean, I covered Evan Fares, and I don't think I would have got it. So um, <laughs> that was tough, man. That, that was tough. But, uh, but, but, you know, good for him for showing a little bit. He, he needed that. Yep. No, I, I appreciated the effort, and uh, hopefully we get a, a Ryan Goodwin, like, Rocky training montage for next year. I think that could be great, man. I think that would be wonderful. (laughs) That would be. Well, Matt, I appreciate the time as always. Uh, You can check out all Matt's work covering KU for R1S1, powered by Perpetual Sports Network. Again, the website is r1s1sports.com. Matt, appreciate the time as always, man. All right, Derek. Thanks a bunch, man. It was fun, and uh, we'll talk to you one week closer to game time. Pretty crazy that it's here, but it should be a fun year. All right, again, that was Matt Tate. Check him out, r1s1sports.com. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Coming up next, we actually have some uh, RCST football trivia. We're going to get to another playoff matchup in the first round here. We also have a Jayhawk Rewind coming up and Florida Man Mad Libs, so a uh, fun finish to the show coming up here. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it.
Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN as we get ready for a RCST football trivia matchup between the five seed Skinner Wenninger and the 12 seed Garrett Hart. As far as the RCST trivia top 10 rankings, Skinner comes in at number seven. Uh, in this thing. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. RCSD Football Trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, McDonald's, Mr. D's Auto Wash, and Lawrence Shirt Factory. Lawrence Shirt Factory, you can get all your custom gear. They've got shirts for sale. They can help you with your customized gear, shirts, hats, sweaters. Uh, check them out with Lawrence Shirt Factory right next to Munchers. Also brought to you by McDonald's and Mr. D's Auto Wash in the Lawrence area on 6th Street. You can uh, get a bite to eat, get your car washed, and uh, have yourself a happy day after that. So what are you expecting from this matchup, Five twelve matchup? Yeah, so Garrett has been the uh, model of consistency. It was pointed out to me before we start by you before we start the, before we started recording this matchup is that Garrett has scored nine points every single game he's played. So he's been the model of consistency. Uh, the question is, can he elevate? Can he find that next level? Because in the playoffs, nine points is probably not going to be good enough to win a game, right? Like if you get nine points, you might be – Looking at an overtime matchup potentially, but nine points on its own is probably not going to be enough to get you a win. So uh, I'm really curious to see what happens with Garrett Skinner. Of course, is a he's a grizzled veteran man. He's he's you know he's got a lot of knowledge. He's got a, a lot of stuff, a lot of experience that he can draw on. And so I'm excited for this matchup. I want to. I'm curious to see how Garrett plays, and I'm looking forward to hearing from a main man Skinner once again. That's right. He is a, a great character, and uh, we appreciate both these guys joining this thing. RCST Football Trivia brought to you by Johnny's Tavern. In 2023, Johnny's Tavern celebrating its 70th year anniversary. You can check out the original location in North Lawrence or any of the 13 locations, whichever is in your neighborhood porch. From Topeka to the newest store in Raymore, Missouri, try all the great food, try all the great beer, including the blue-collar lager, beer you can only get at Johnny's that's brewed by Free State Brewing Company. Into our lone matchup of the day. So our lone matchup for today is the 5-12 matchup, which in basketball, traditionally the 12-5 is uh, pretty upset heavy. The winner of this matchup is going to move on to the quarterfinals, and they'll be uh, taking on the four seed at that point in time with our four seed awaiting Jackson Schneider. This is the 23rd Street Brewery Hank Booth Burger Bowl, though. Uh, Garrett, I want to start with you. You squeaked into the playoffs. What was it like last week? I don't know, kind of keeping an eye on, monitoring what was going on to see if you were going to get into playoffs or not. Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to keep out like a watchful eye on it, and I was hoping I would squeeze in, and it looked like I barely got in for the most part. Um, but and it looks like I could have been like the 10, 11, or 12, so uh, not that big a difference, and I guess I can't really control who I play. So it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Skinner, uh, you just missed out on the first round bye, but you said you didn't want to buy last week. So even though this is a dangerous matchup being in the playoffs, uh, what are your thoughts that, that you do get to keep doing this for another week? Uh, it's just oh, another contest, but uh, I want you, uh, Ryan, uh, Derek, to uh, say the Hank Booth Burger Bowl three times in succession. <laughs> Hank Booth Burger Bowl, Hank Booth Burger Bowl, Hank Booth Burger Bowl. There we go. If you had the 23rd Street the Brewery part in there, that makes it a lot longer. Makes it a little <laughs> tougher to, to get through all three. Okay, well, uh, Garrett, you are the lower seed here, so you have the option on the coin. Do you want heads or tails? Uh, I'll go tails. It is heads, so Skinnerd. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Hey, hey Garrett, what is, you want to go first or second? I mean, I'll go second if you give me the option. No, I'll go second. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
some ultimate gamesmanship there. I thought Skinner was about to be a gentleman, but uh, the fierce competitor coming out there. All right, so Garrett, that means you're going to go first. Skinner's going to go second. We're going to start in the easy round. These are worth three points. Garrett, for you. The most passing touchdowns by a Jayhawk ever in a bowl game is five of them by what quarterback in 2022? Uh, Jalen Daniels. That's right. Jalen Daniels threw five of them to help lead Kansas into uh, overtime before falling in a close one to Arkansas. All right, Skinner, your first question in the easy round for three points. The most receptions by a Jayhawk ever in a bowl game was 14 of them by what receiver in the 2008 Insight Bowl whose first name starts with the letter D? Desmond Brasco. That's right. That's the letter D was what made that easy. Otherwise, you could have had a 50-50 between him and uh, Kerry Meyer. All right, 3-3 three to three is the score through the first quarter. We're all knotted up, and these are now worth six points in the medium round. Garrett, this Kansas multi-positional quarterback among other positions, from 1959 to 1961, is part of the Kansas Athletics Hall of Fame. What's his name? John Hadle. Right, John Hadle, known for his versatility and uh, a all-time great quarterback at KU. All right, Skinner, to your question, to tie the score at nine. This quick Kansas running back from 1962 to 1964 is part of the Kansas Athletics Hall of Fame. Gale Sayers. Right, Gale Sayers, all-time NFL legend, in addition to his time with the Kansas Jayhawks. All right, it's 9-9 to the score. We're all tied up, headed into the second half of play. These are now worth seven points in the hard round. Garrett, your question. Who led the 2015 Jayhawks in receiving yards? Oh, gosh. I believe that was year one of the David Beatty era. Okay. Ten seconds. I'm going to go with Nigel King. I think Nigel King would have been 2014. I can't remember if he led him in yards or not. He was close. 2015, though, the answer is Trey Parmalee. Trey Parmalee. The right answer there. All right, Skinner, your chance to take the lead in the hard round worth seven points. The following season, 2016, who led the Jayhawks in rushing yards? said 2016. Yes. I'm going to butcher his first name, but I'll just say K. Kiner. Yep. Keon Kinner is the correct answer on that one. We knew who you were talking about, so comfortable giving you the right answer. Keon Kinner was a uh, JUCO transfer, came over and led the team in rushing yards. All right, 16 to 9. Skinner leads it headed into the fourth quarter. Garrett, you gotta get this really hard question right to have a chance of moving on. It's worth eight points. It would put you in front. Your question, Garrett. Kansas had 498 passing yards in 2009 against Missouri. That tied their record for most passing yards in a single game with a game from 1985 against what non-conference opponent?
Uh, I'm just going to guess Boston College. Another team who has gold in their color scheme, Vanderbilt. The Commodores is the correct answer on that one. That was a uh, media guide specialty question right there. Well, Skinner, you have secured the win. You are moving on in the playoffs, but you do have a chance for a perfect score and just to answer another fun question here. So your really hard question for eight points. The first time Kansas surpassed the 400-yard passing mark in a game came in 1972 against what non-conference opponent? Nineteen seventy-two, correct? Yes. Florida State. They actually did uh, put some beatings on Florida State before they got good, but no, the correct answer on this one is Washington State. Yeah, the state part of it, right? Washington State, the correct answer. So, Skinner, you come through with the win, sixteen to nine. You're moving on to the quarterfinal round. Of the postseason, you're going to be taking on Jackson Schneider in the quarterfinals in the Johnny's Nuke Lelouch Bowl, but you've won the 23rd Street Brewery Hank Booth Burger Bowl. Uh, thoughts on, on your accomplishment here and, and what you're going to be trying to do moving forward? Uh, just just getting lucky, I guess, every now and then, but uh, advance and survive. Survive and advance. Garrett, would you have known the answer to the Keon Kinner one? I would not have. I completely forgot about Keon Kenner. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate there. Uh, well, Garrett, overall, I've, I'm given, you know, for everybody gets eliminated at this point in the playoffs, I'm going to give you an open floor. What are you most excited for for KU football this season? Or do you have any, I don't know, fun hot takes to get off your chest? Any fun hot takes? I uh, hope the defense is a little bit better, but just really excited to see what the offense is looking like. Um, really excited to see the special teams this year compared to the last decade and a half. So, uh, you know, it should be a good upgrade and um, season ticket holder. So I'm excited for it. All right. Well, Garrett, we appreciate you being a part of this thing. And Skinner, we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks. Okay, so Skinner gets through 16-9, yep. to nine, the final score. The hard round ended up being the difference there uh, between the two of them. Yep, so Garrett, once again, you know, he got through the first and second quarters easily and was, you know, had those nine points, but couldn't hit that next gear, you know, and I and I think that's going to be a theme of the playoffs. Like I said, I, I think you're going to need to score more than nine points uh, to try to win in the playoffs. So that, that, that certainly ratchets up the pressure, and, you know, it's going to turn up the heat a little bit on some of these guys, but uh, that was a good matchup. That was a good matchup. Uh, excited to see Skinner go, and, you know, now Skinner, he gets to play Jackson, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously I think you know who I'm going to be <laughs> pulling for there. Wait, I okay, so you're not crushed. just picking Skinner. You're rooting for Skinner over your friend. Oh, 100%. He's wow. I want Jackson to lose. 100%. Okay. RCST Football Trivia brought to you by Jayhawk Trophy with custom awards. They're also engraving experts in Lawrence. You can check out the wide variety because it's not just trophies and plaques. Plenty of stuff that they provide there, including our tumblers that we're going to be giving away as part of our RCST Football Trivia prizes. Um, they do all sorts of engraving stuff like that. You can check them out online or in Lawrence on 6th Street. We're also brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery with dine-in, carry-out, catering, all available. Check out the outdoor patio to enjoy the warm weather. Try the Bill's Up Mac and Cheese, the Haney Turkey Stack, or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery beer, which you can get to go with their Crowlers. Uh, so, so far, bracket looks like this. Moving on, um, 
it was Kyle Martin beating Justin Nichols in the 23rd Street Brewery Billsoff Mac and Cheese Bowl, Skinner beating Garrett in the 23rd Street Brewery Hank Booth Burger Bowl, Aaron beating Ryan in the 23rd Street Brewery Wave the Wheat Bowl, and then uh, so far advanced, we'll have the one-seed Eric Hansey versus the eight-seed Kyle Martin in the Johnny's Blue Collar Lager Bowl, the 4-5 matchup between Jackson and Skinner in the Johnny's New Kalush Bowl, the 3-11 matchup between Isaac and Aaron in the Johnny's Wilson Wing Bowl, and then Blake Farrell awaiting in the Johnny Wilson Burger Bowl against the winner of our matchup tomorrow between Brad Wondell and Andrew Wymore in the 23rd Street Brewery Haney Turkey Stack Bowl. All right, that's trivia for today. We've got a Jayhawk football rewind coming up next. Also, Florida Man Mad Libs and Brian Borland audio coming in the 5 o'clock hour. This is RCST on KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We'll get to some Brian Borland audio and have uh, Florida Man Mad Libs coming at you later on in the show uh, with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson here on KLWN. First, though, we have our Jayhawk Rewind, and uh, Texas is the next game, which is not a fun one. Yeah, this was this was the one game where it was just a, a lot of pain, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. Uh, it was objectively not a good time. And if you recall, the weather was really kind of bad also for the game. Like, it was cold and windy to start, like, that morning. Uh, I Because I remember, actually, I went to out to a tailgate with some friends, and uh, our our tent, our tent blew away. It literally blew away. So it's a long story. It's a sign of things to come. It's a, it's a long story, actually. Basically, somehow or another, it remains up for debate as to what happened, but in the end result was we didn't have the stakes for our tent. And so we actually tried to break up uh, like a branch within the twigs and like jam the twigs in the ground to like hold the, set, hold the tent down. And let me tell you, that did not work. And so it blew away, and then we got it back, and then we basically had four people standing at each corner of the tent holding it down for the whole, for the entirety of the tailgate. That sounds so like a like, horrible tailgate. No, no, no. It was like taking it was like taking guard watch. It was <laughs> like, oh, now it's my time to stand in the corner for a little bit, and then you know, but people would bring you drinks and whatever, and you know, it was, I mean, it, it, you're right. It was a sign of things to come because uh, it was rough, and then the game started and it got worse. Well, oh well. That, that does not sound like a fun tailgate. It really doesn't. It actually you're, was You're fun spending though. your time. I guess it does give you some camaraderie, which that can add to the tailgate. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's about as memorable as this game could be. Uh, Heading into the game. Yeah, what did we think headed in? I don't even remember, to be honest. I mean, I think there was just a lot of euphoria. Both teams were 6-4. and four. It was like, could they beat Texas again? Yeah, I think there was a lot of still, I mean, I, I just got to be honest. After the Oklahoma State game, it was just riding the high, basically, I think, for the rest of the season until the end of the season, basically. Uh, so I think the expectations coming to this game was probably just let's you know be competitive. I don't, I don't recall picking KU to win the game. I didn't think KU was going to win, but I was. I felt good about the game being at least semi enjoyable, which just ended up not being the case. But this is the this was Jalen Daniels' first game back. Right? It was, yeah, yeah. That's that's another good thing too. And we didn't know like what exactly that was going to look like. Um, how much was he going to be able to run and be the normal guy that we were kind of used to, right? So that's a positive. Uh, now, what happened in the game? Well, it was a yeah, train wreck. I don't really need to get into like the normally I do the the drive play by play type of stuff. I don't need to do that. Texas, I think, I think you can just sum it up by saying Texas scored a lot. Yes. and Kansas didn't score at all. Yeah, I mean it was it was pretty much game over by what <laughs> halftime. It was thirty one nothing at half. Yeah, yeah, which was not good. There was a brief moment where it was like, because to this point, 
KU had at least been a team that would battle back from big yeah. deficits and would make games convincing or yeah. would make games more entertaining. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were down seventeen nothing in the first half. They went down. They had like a, a nine play, fifty eight yard drive, but they ended up missing a field goal, a thirty four yarder. That kills all your momentum. At that point, it's like, oh well, you made a two score <laughs> game, and then you also you're down twenty four nothing, and this was really your last chance to be like, are we going to at least make this like semi competitive? You actually. Um, Kind of moved the ball a little bit. Moved the ball a little bit. Yeah, you got to their 37-yard line, and it was like, okay, if they score a touchdown here, if it's 24-7 at half, like, it's like you've been getting pounded, but, but yeah, you know, only like down maybe, by 17 is not maybe. that bad. Uh, you throw an interception, and then they go down and score in eight, <laughs> in uh, nine plays, 60 yards, in two minutes and eight seconds. So, that's yeah, it's 31 nothing, and at that point, it's over. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that, that wasn't good for, for KU. Uh, Quinn Ewers threw the ball 21 times for 107 yards, one touchdown. He averaged five yards a throw, and you still gave up 55 points. That's because Texas ran the ball 57 times for 427 <laughs> yards and six touchdowns. Yeah, this was a game where it was, okay, yeah, Bijan Robinson is one of the best running backs in the country, uh, and, and it showed. Uh, 25 carries for 243 yards and four, and four <laughs> touchdowns for Bijan Robinson. This was This was the first game also where... It was just, it was very, very obvious the talent gap was still very significant. You know, I think when you go back to like the Oklahoma game, you could see that the talent gap was still there between KU and, and, and some of the top end schools that are getting the four and five star guys like Oklahoma's and Texas's. This game, that was even, that was on display to an even more extreme. Bijan Robinson was unstoppable. He was breaking tackles every single time he got the ball. Uh, I mean, Texas was literally just running HB dive every play and just handing it to Bijan Robinson, and he would he would go and just truck like three guys. And I mean, he averaged ten yards per carry. Uh, and and it's not like he had a lot of long runs either. I mean, his longest run of the day was thirty two yards. So he was literally getting just ten yards per carry basically every time they gave him the ball. Uh, it was insane. Kansas was physically overpowered uh, at the point of attack on defense. They had no answer for trying to stop Texas's run game. There was literally nothing they could do. It was just kind of a, a brutal beatdown. And I think this was, uh, you know, Kansas decided, hey, you know what? We're going to give Kansas fans a throwback game of what it used to be like prior to Lance Leipold. And remember, this, this would be like every single game, 12 games straight. So the fact that it only happened once in 12 games, I think you still feel pretty good about it, but it still was not fun. And uh, it was just a complete demolition. And, uh, you know, for Texas... If you look at it from their perspective, as you said, they came to this game at six and four. They needed this game. They yeah. absolutely had to have it if they even wanted to still have a chance to possibly uh, make the Big Twelve title game. And they came out and and it showed and it showed. Uh, and they just absolutely blasted Kansas. And there was just nothing. Ku. I mean, even if Jalen Daniels and the offense were playing at a high level, Ku still doesn't win this game because they the defense literally could not stop anything Texas did. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean the stats on Jalen don't look bad at all. It's just that yeah, you remember the game. There were yeah some of those throws. Seventeen for twenty six, two hundred thirty yards, two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. They had the one interception, but the arm strength wasn't there. Yeah, the well, running and, ability and, wasn't there. Yeah, and this was the game where it really demonstrated how vital Jalen Daniels as a runner is to KU's offense being effective at a high level. Uh, when when Jalen Daniels is just simply a in the pocket quarterback, his his uh, ability to create, his ability to kind of cr- have those X-factor plays, his ceiling is severely, severely mm-hmm. limited. Uh, and that's what we saw in this game. It was it was clear that KU did not want Jalen Daniels to run the ball. No. He, he officially carried it two times in the game. 
uh, and so they really wanted to take it easy on him. No, but, it was clear they were trying to have quick throws, too. I mean, yeah. uh, Texas didn't have any sacks. I don't think that was necessarily that the KU offensive line was great in this game. I think they were yeah. just trying to throw the ball really quickly. Yeah, and then on top of that, when Kansas did try to run the ball with Devin Neal, it was largely ineffective, 13 carries, 51 yards, just under four yards per carry. Kai Thomas got six carries for just 15 yards. So not only not only when Jalen Daniels is not utilizing his legs a little bit, not only is he significantly diminished as a passer in terms of his threat and his scramble ability, it also severely, severely limits the running game because Texas knew Jalen Daniels was not going to keep it if they ran an option. They knew that he was not going to try to take off, and so they just keyed on Devin Neal, and Devin mm-hmm. Neal really couldn't do anything. Like I said, 13 carries, 51 yards for, for Devin Neal. So uh, it was just tough sledding for the offense, and this was the game where it was like, Okay, I think the big question coming into this game was, with Jalen Daniels, is it better to have an 80% Jalen Daniels? Is it better to have a slightly limited Jalen Daniels, or is it better to have Jason Bean? And in this game, you kind of saw, well, you know, if if Jalen Daniels is not fully healthy and he can't fully utilize his his full tools of running and, and his legs, it it might actually, a healthy Jaylen, Jason Bean may actually be a better quarterback for the offense yeah uh, that was kind of a bit of the takeaway not not that anybody was saying you know bench Jalen Daniels for Jason Bean but it was just clear that if Jalen Daniels is not totally 100% and he's not using his legs the KU offense is not the same yeah uh the only guy I have on dude's list here is Quentin Skinner four catches 98 yards he was good but yeah he had a 55 yard catch in the second half at some point I think yeah it's tough to pick anybody from the defense you missed so many tackles they gave they had 55 points you couldn't stop the run you had two tackles for loss the entire game you had zero sacks yeah I mean uh, Kenny Logan had 10 tackles but again I guess the was... corners were probably pretty good because you didn't give up a lot in the air <laughs> also this was a horrible special teams game for you I mean it didn't really matter you lost by 41 points you missed a 34 yard field goal this was actually the game that uh because you missed the 34 yard field goal Owen P. Owen Peeper Gertis. Oh, Owen P. Owen yeah. Salt and Pepper got in there. Yeah, he got in there. He went two for two on extra points. Also, your punting. Uh, Reese Vernon had three punts, averaged thirty-nine yards a punt. Graydon Addison had one for twenty-eight. So overall, you punted four times, averaging thirty-six yards a punt. That is very bad. Yeah, bad, bad special teams game. You also averaged yeah. eighteen yards per kick return. Which yeah, doesn't sound very good. Well, you know how many yards I think you should average per kick return? Zero. Zero. <laughs> Don't return kicks. That's right. Period. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, not much to take away from that standpoint. Um, I, I do have one big takeaway from this game. It was it was clear and apparent that there is still a difference between the athlete that yeah. Texas and, like, the Oklahomas have to what Kansas has. And because of that, you do have to play clean games and you do have to play assignment sound fundamental football from that standpoint. Otherwise, you don't really have a chance. Uh, the other big takeaway was what you kind of talked about with Jalen Daniels uh, yeah. versus Jason Bean. Um Run defense, very bad. Very bad. Very bad. Very not good. This was the worst of all the games for run defense. <laughs> yeah. Oklahoma was probably second. Yeah, yeah, this was really, really bad. I mean, Texas quickly discovered that they could literally just line up and blow Kansas off the off, off the line off the line of scrimmage anytime they want. And so they did that with uh with with Bijan. I mean, he was he was unstoppable. And the offensive line for Texas was unstoppable. And this was a game that I think is is going to be one that everyone's just going to sweep under the rug and not remember at all uh, because of the fact that you look at every other game Kansas played this season, they did fight back, they did have some tenacity, they did have some perseverance, they did rally. You know, even when you go, even when you look at a Baylor game, right? I mean, the Baylor game in the first half was similar to this Texas game in the first half, but they battled back. In this game, Kansas just simply didn't have it, uh, and they they couldn't get up for the game. And, and again, I I don't know. I mean. 
Obviously, I'm not in the locker room, I'm not with the players, with the coaches, but I don't know how much there was a bit of a sort of, from the Kansas perspective of, hey, we we got to a bowl, you know, we're going to a bowl anyways, like, whatever, right? I don't know how much of that maybe played into this game. And again, like I said, with Texas, Texas is a team that needed, they absolutely had to win this game if they even still wanted to be in the discussion for a possible run at the Big 12 title. I think at this point in the season, it was... TCU kind of seemed like they were going to be there, and then it was going to be K-State, Texas potentially uh, was in that mix. So, you know, this was a game they needed. But, but yeah, this is a game where Kansas just just didn't have it. They just kind of rolled over. And that's something I think at the time it was like, okay, that's something that we haven't seen from this Kansas team this season. But obviously this was this was par for the course week in, week out, you know, from 2010 to 2019 basically where, you know, you get down huge early. I think I've talked about this, you know, in in previous iterations of Kansas football, if you're down 14 nothing at the end of the first quarter, the game is over. It's done. Pack it in. Good night. See you. See you right. next week. Kansas has been down that margin in other games this last season and the game wasn't over. That wasn't the case against Texas. In this case, Texas got a 14 nothing in the first quarter and it it was over. They put up 17 more in the second quarter and at that point it was totally Done. Yeah. I, I don't really want to use this game as a teaching tool for 2023 either, though. I mean, no, I 100% agree. Maybe it makes you less confident they can beat Texas after the year before you did beat them <laughs> when you're going down to Austin. Yeah. Um, that's fair. Maybe it does give you more worries about the run defense. That's fair. Maybe it gives you more worries about possible quarterback injuries. That's that's totally fair. But I don't know. There were, there were just a lot of things in this game. If you remember, it was really cold, and that kind of yeah. affected how the game was played with the lack of passing. Jalen obviously being injured. This was the worst game from the defense of the year. So I don't know. It was just a bad game. Kind of throw out the tape yeah. and forget about it. Exactly. It's clear that this game was the outlier, right? It's clear that this game was not the norm for Kansas last season. It was just a – and listen, you know, over the course of a you know 13-game season, you may have a game where, you know, you struggle. Uh, and I think maybe what this game does d- demonstrate is that for Kansas, if they have a game like that where they do kind of struggle, it it's if it's against an opponent like Texas, if it's against a Big 12, you know, upper half of the Big 12 caliber opponent, they're probably not going to be able to win. You know, when you think about Oklahoma, the Oklahomas of the world, the Texas of the world, even like a TCU, Kansas State, you know, if those teams have an off game, but and it's against somebody that's in the middle of the pack of the Big 12, they can probably still win those games. I don't necessarily know if that's the case for Kansas. If they have an, if Kansas has an off game this season, can they beat BYU? Can they beat UCF? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. That kind of remains to be seen. You know, it's it's still it still is clear that Kansas needs to play like you like you were saying earlier, solid, fundamentally sound football uh, against quality opponents if they want to have a chance to win. So that would be, I guess, I don't know if that's really a takeaway necessarily, but it could be. Is that you know if Kansas. If they do have one game, which, you know, it's over the course of a long season, you're bound to have probably a game or two where maybe, you know, the execution's not 100%, where it's not, you know, you're not totally locked in all the way. And the question is, if that happens with Kansas, can they still beat a opponent of quality? Or is it just going to be, if, the, if you're playing a quality opponent, you have to bring your A game and, and play at a high level? All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. We got some Brian Borland audio, Florida Man Mad Libs coming up. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. This is a Rock Chalk Sports Talk news alert. Office say this man sold crack to an undercover police officer all while wearing a shirt that said Coke on it. Ever wondered just how crazy headlines can get? And now the Broward Sheriff's Office is looking into this one. So if you recognize the defecating deviant dropping deuces on driveways, 
Give Broward Crime Stoppers a call. Our headline experts have you covered. 42-year-old man was arrested for riding his bicycle on the front lawn of a Naples home and telling a woman inside he was an FBI agent. This is Florida Man Matt Lives with Derek Johnson, Nick Springer, and Sam Speck on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. All right, looking forward to this one. Florida Man Mad Libs on KLWN with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Nick Springer, Derek Johnson joining us in studio. Sam Speck. Gentlemen, it's an odd day, certainly. Not a Wednesday normally, not a Friday as we finish off the week, but Florida Man Mad Libs, it lives on. Indeed. Keeps you on your toes, and today it's going to be a fun show, and here's how it works if you want to play at home. We've got four headlines coming your way. The first headline is going to have just only one redacted word or phrase. The next three are going to have two. Now, the first will only, of course, have a potential of one point. The next three will have a potential of three points. And that's only if you get the entire headline correct. So now, you, me, and everybody else listening get to listen back and figure out where Nick and Derek want to go with these headlines. And by the way, they are legitimate headlines. You can look them up. They're actually pretty uh, recent. It's called Florida Man Mad Libs, oh, but so it's we not... can look them up. No, you can. You guys oh, cannot okay. do the research. Well, I already know you Derek guys... looks them up because he's cheap. You guys <laughs> cannot do the research. Let me no, take that. one this morning. I was telling Sam, but I honestly forgot what it was. If you it said was, it, I would it remember. It was one that uh, involved someone not surviving. So that's why I don't think it's going to be. Yeah, no, it, it, it was one it, that we actually Nick, did see Nick where they didn't survive. I have I don't brought. Know what you're talking about. I brought in a couple. No, you read me one, but it was one where somebody. I read you one off air with that, but I knew yeah. we wouldn't get into it. We did anyway. The, but uh, again, uh, Nick, oh, Nick screens my stuff. Okay, no, okay, okay. Well, then maybe maybe you have. I know what you're talking about. But again, the. First one coming at you guys now. Are we ready? Both you guys? Everybody oh, yeah. at yes. home? We ready Was to roll? Was the one you read today recently? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, I guess if, yeah. if we so get to it, whatever. We'll we're going to go to my home state. Colorado man says the USPS thinks blank. That's it? Okay. That's good, dude. I told you this one's going to be a guess. Like really, opinion. This one's going to be crazy. Thinks I'm an alien. <laughs> Colorado man says the USPS thinks I'm dead. I'm a terrorist. Or I'm a serial killer. Okay. So here's where I'm going with this. The USPS, you know, they have a, a bit of a thankless job, honestly. You know, delivering the mail. Nobody, uh, you know, it's one of those things where... Yes, thank nobody, you if you're a mailman who's nobody, listening to the show nobody while you're says anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nobody says anything if the mail gets delivered on time. But if it's late... Everyone, we're mad at the mailman. Yes, Nobody thank ever says you for thanks bringing to the mailman. Okay? Thank you for bringing that up. First of all, shout out to the mail people, USPS, whoever it is. What I think the answer here here is, though, is I think it's probably that they think he's dead. Because if someone dies, the USPS, I think they have, like, a policy. Like they, I think they legitimately have this thing where, like, they redirect the mail or, like, whatever or something. So, like, if they think this guy's dead, then he's, like, unable to get his mail, basically. So I'm going to go with the USPS thinks I'm dead. All right. So Nick's pretty confident here. I like your explanation, by the way. And good shout out to all of the postal workers out there yeah. because right now. Yeah, yeah, if absolutely. the mail's on time, nobody ever says Nobody anything. complains. and But if it's not, then it's guess what? Only a big deal if it's late. I definitely don't think it's serial killer because if, it's, if they were a convicted serial killer that was in jail, they obviously wouldn't deliver the mail. But then this guy wouldn't be able to complain about it. They wouldn't just be like, we have an opinion that we think you're a serial killer, so we're protesting by not getting you mail. So I don't think it's that one. Uh, what was the other one? A terrorist. <laughs> not necessarily okay, much better, but at the same time, a national security But issue. that could actually be. What if they think that like he's sending out packages with, you know, I don't know, suspect things in them, or he's receiving packages with suspect? I'm going to go terrorist. Okay. So Derek's going to go with that. I think it and makes sense. 
Here is the full unredacted, and hopefully you at home have your answers locked in. A Colorado man says the USPS thinks I'm dead, and quite literally, his mail was piled up. I mean, piled up at wow. the USPS because they yeah, hadn't they been delivered. Delivering. Yeah, correct. If they exactly. think you're dead, they stop delivering, or they redirect it to like your next of kin. I guess. Did I you know. read any of the story? Why did they think he was dead? I honestly have no idea. I didn't read too deeply into that one, but yeah, that one was actually fairly recently. But Nick coming away with a point in round number one, and again, reminder: Bang. the next three headlines coming at you, they're going to have two redacted words or phrases. So you got to be patient for the second one. But we'll start with this one. Because we're going to stay in the sunflower state here. Oh, nice. And that might be a hint. A Kansas man planted more than one million blank to surprise his blank of 50 years. Was that what? just a tell or was that him trying to throw us that it's going to plant and be sunflowers? Mm, I don't know. So the first redacted word. The Kansas man planted more than one million poison ivy seeds... Sunflowers or pot plants to surprise his blank of 50 years. And we'll get to the second redacted word here momentarily. But again, poison ivy seeds, pot plants, or sunflowers, right? Okay. How do you do poison ivy? Dude, maybe you just throw seeds around, man. You just, I mean. No, think about it. Like, if you're a farmer and you have, like, your arch nemesis farmer, right? Like, rivalry. And so he's like, dude, I'm going to put a bunch of poison ivy in my arch rival's farm and then Wait, it's going to be celebrating up. it just says surprise surprise his blank of 50 years his See, I was envisioning like his wife but I guess it could be yeah nemesis 50 years neighbor 50 years <laughs> so, uh, so poison ivy what are the other options sunflower and what else and a pot plant so that's a lot so the I thing mean, about pot a- plants is is, I don't think that's legal in Kansas. No, but it's pretty obvious. So if you were trying to get somebody in trouble, then that would definitely yeah. help. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's no, diabolical. I'm gonna, I, uh, I don't think it's pot plant. I'm going to go sunflower. I'm going to go sunflower. But I don't feel great about it. I'm going to pick sunflower also. So Derek and Nick are going to lock in with the sunflowers here. And here, uh, this is who he was trying to surprise. So a Kansas man planted more than one million either poison ivy seeds, pot plants, or sunflowers to surprise his... Enemy, wife, or mistress of 50 years. A 50-year mistress, though? Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. My initial gut was wife. Uh, I'm going to go. That that would be kind of a wholesome, generic headline, which we don't normally get. No, we really These don't. are more crazy. But I think, I think that's the, that's what Sam is trying to be like. We're I not going to assume. The problem I have with enemy, I think enemy is too generic. Ah. I think if it was your enemy, it would be like to surprise, like you know, I don't know, a different hated, term. Hated, yeah, his worker most hated or yeah, farm like something. employee or his <laughs> most hated, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, I'm going wife. So Derek's gonna go with wife. So you both walked in with sunflowers. Derek yeah. goes with wife on the second one. What are you doing here, Nick? Dude, a fifty a fifty year mistress is like insane. I mean, at that point, why don't you just marry your mistress? <laughs> what, what are we doing? <laughs> Literally, what are we doing? <laughs> you just marry her. I mean, but, I mean, seriously, bro. Uh, what, what, what is going on? So what are you going? Gonna, you going to wife? I'm going to go wife too. Yeah. I'm well, go and you both are right. I don't even have to read through it. So you both got it right. Kansas. <laughs> no. Is that, is that it the was first a red herring. We've ever both gotten. I tried to fool well, we you normally, guys. We normally we normally like try to mix, try to yeah. get different answers. See, well, and I tried to fool you guys because I found a light-hearted one. I mean, literally, Kansas man planted more <laughs> no, than one nice. million that sunflowers to surprise yeah. his wife of 50 years. All right. So four to three, Nick. Again, still in the lead. Just 
get married to her. <laughs> okay, but isn't this the ultimate difference between Kansas and Florida? Florida crazy, Kansas wholesome. Exactly. Yeah, there right. you go. That Midwest charm. Yeah. Exactly. All right, 100%. here it is. Uh, now we finally get back down to the state of Florida. As a Florida man unsuccessfully robs blank before blank and gets arrested. So... Now we get down to the Sunshine State. Yep. Florida man unsuccessfully robs a nail salon, a Wendy's, or his uncle's house before <laughs> before he blank and gets arrested. Okay. First of all, a Wendy's nail salon or uncle's house. I don't understand why he would attempt to rob a nail salon. Now, I will say this, though. Nails are expensive. Well, and I will say so normally maybe they're the guy was businesses, like, too. Yeah. They, normally they're maybe cash Maybe the guy businesses. was like, wait a second. My girlfriend's nails cost how much? <laughs> I'm going to go rob that place. There's a lot of cash business. So That's what I'm saying. Right? A lot of time it's a cash business yeah. area as well. Too, Wendy's, so. obviously, I think it's just okay, a classic. So I have, there. I mean, there, there's a little bit of info here. Do you know what Sam had for lunch today? He had Wendy's. He did. Could that influence this decision? Did he well, see he this? Well, he probably, no, I, I mean, I don't know. Did I don't he, know when he see he the headline before this morning and he saw Wendy's in the headline and then it subconsciously was made him think I should get Wendy's for lunch or did it work vice versa? Did he get Wendy's for lunch think, and he was like, I could make that up. There's think, also a nail salon next to the Wendy's over here. I think you're you see? way, and I think you are my, so far down the rabbit hole. I can't, I don't even think I can save you. I think you're just, you're gone. I can't uh, save you. I don't know what Florida man unsuccessfully robs a blank before he blanks. We'll get to the second one in a moment and then gets arrested. But again, either a Wendy's, a nail salon or his uncle's house. Uncle's house is, is interesting. I, I'm that's intrigued I by it. So I've heard enough stories about, and this is obviously Florida, so it's different, but like, you know, farmers and in, in farmland in Kansas where they'll have like a nephew or a cousin or something who, you know, maybe they're not thinking the right way and they're like, how can I make some quick money? And they go steal like their uncle's farm equipment or something and try to sell it because that stuff is very expensive. Huh. So it might not be that necessarily, but that's what I'm going to go with. And then I'm going to say that he got caught. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. But I'm going to say he got caught because like, he did something stupid to be like, hey, uncle, or something like that. Like, if he was getting caught in the way. I don't know. Anyway, I'm, going, I'm going to uncle's house. I'm picking nail salon. Okay. Nail salon here. And again, this is this is one of the tougher ones that I've brought in to you guys before. So again, a Florida man unsuccessfully robs either a nail salon, as Nick had said, uncle's house, as Derek did, or Wendy's before he robbed a bank, what? stripped his clothing, or before he could board his plane and gets arrested. So again... <laughs> He robs a Wendy's before he robbed a See, bank. I think for you, Derek. Stripped his clothing or before he could board his plane. I think for you, board his plane makes the most sense. But no, he's I on a family vacation at his uncle's house. He steals some crap from his house. Yeah. And he's like, now I'm going to go board the plane. Everything's fine. Yeah, but he I'll missed be, his flight. That's probably what I'm going to go with. But there is a part of me that goes, what if it's robbed the bank? What if his uncle had some sort of tools or gun. What if he robbed his uncle like he had a, a treasury or a uh, an armory and he needed to get the gun from his uncle to go rob the bank? Oh, I see. Well, I, uh, so I, are you, are you yeah, going bank here? Because you seem definitive. You, you, okay, so I you're am, conflicted. Nick, what are you I am very thinking? not confident about Nail Salon now <laughs> because I don't, like any of the, I don't like any of these answers. So I don't even know what I'm going to do. I mean, it's literally a crapshoot at this point. I'm leaning plain, but I really am thinking bank, too. I... I don't know. Which one do you want? I'm going to go with plane. Because think about it. You're on vacation and your girlfriend gets her nails done. And you're like, dude, the nails cost how much? You go rob the nail salon. He's like, dude, they have a lot of money. Get out of here. Miss your flight. Boom. You're arrested. Yeah, I'm going to go plane. 
But I'm going to be mad if it's bank. <laughs> Gentlemen. I think nail salon's wrong. I, I mean, I don't I don't even... <laughs> I am relieved. I am the winner. Gah. Wait, what? The house takes this one. A Florida man unsuccessfully robs a Wendy's before he robbed a bank. And then gets arrested. He was on some sort of snapping spree. I don't know what his problem but dude, was. But to go from a Wendy's to a bank, they were like, probably right next to each other. That's a very aggressive. You know, they were probably in the same parking lot, Nick. They were probably I mean, literally. Well, he was were, like, I mean, "This will be our test run. Let's see how we do." <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah, like, "Oh, yeah. we did it." So obviously, yeah. the bank he unsuccessfully mailed. Uh, unsuccessfully. No, the Wendy's probably went successfully, and then the oh. bank went unsuccessfully. No, no, no. Because it the does say unsuccessfully, unsuccessfully robbed, robbed Wendy's. Wendy's. Yep. Oh. So he failed at the Wendy's. Like, no, no, no. But okay, so be, you got to get Okay, so <laughs> let me let me say this phonetically wise. There is a semicolon, which means that it says he robs the Wendy's unsuccessfully before he robbed a bank. I don't, no, I, don't I don't. I don't follow. Does that make sense? So he did the bank first and then Wendy's second and was unsuccessful at Wendy's. He was Wendy's. unsuccessful at the Wendy's, not the bank. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. Okay. Got a yeah, little yeah. too cocky. The, the, okay. <laughs> yeah. he was, Dude, listen, the Wendy's employees, they don't screw around. Nick's still with a slim lead here as we head to the final question. And again, three points possible here. A Florida man was pulled over for blank. Authorities say he then asked for blank. So, a Florida man was pulled over for either a bumper sticker, an unsupported load, just like a trailer or, or something in your uh, truck, yeah. or tinted windows. And authorities say he then asked for a blank. So, I don't think you can I don't think you can legally be pulled over for a bumper sticker. Can you? It's happened. Like that's a good question. I feel like you, if you're I mean, I guess unless it says Look like, up the one you know, in Florida. Look up the one in Florida. The cops or something. But even I then, know. it's kind of like freedom of speech. I really, yeah. want, I really want you to that, look up the one in Florida because there was a guy that got arrested for a bumper sticker. Was it this one? Was it no, this it was not this one. And I did. So it's I, not I, bumper sticker. Oh. I, I can't. No, no. I, oh. I, didn't say that. I didn't say that. I'm just saying. I'm got just him. saying. <laughs> I'm going to tinted him. windows. I, I think the windows are All too right. black. That can happen. <laughs> See, I got to stop answering questions here. All right. So got him. Okay. So we know it's either tinted windows or unsupported windows. Yes. Okay. Dang it, you guys are getting smart. Unsupported load, to me, could be the answer, though. Like, let's say you're moving and you've got, like, I don't know, a mattress or couch in the back of your truck and it's not strapped down and yep. it's just, you know, <laughs> flopping That's around. That's all you have to be pulled over for sometimes, yep. So just to be different from Derek, I'm going to go with unsupported load. Okay, so Nick's going to go with unsupported load. Um, The authorities say he then asked for his mom a cigarette... <laughs> Or a doctor. So a Florida man, again, pulled over for either having tinted windows, a bumper sticker, an unsupported load. Authorities then said he asked for a doctor, his mom, or a cigarette. Mm, what if his mom's like a lawyer? Ooh. Could be. No, that makes sense. That's a good conclusion, actually. I mean, I listen, I feel like if it's a, if it's a Florida guy, he easily could ask for a cigarette. That's always a possibility. There's <laughs> <It's just> always <laughs> not. <laughs> It's just always a possibility. What's the third option? What if he is having a doctor, a his mom, oh, a doctor. or a cigarette? Okay, that is kind of a Maybe good like. He, what? Do you think that would work if you got pulled over for a speeding ticket and you were like, "Please help me, I need a doctor." Mm. Probably. Would not. that get you out of it, or would no. that get you in more trouble? It would dig you into a deeper hole. Like an ambulance. Because then a doctor would show up and they'd be yeah. like, "What's wrong with you?" And be like, "Uh, nothing." But then again, Florida people don't think that's <laughs> no, they're true. not very smart. <laughs> I'm going doctor. <laughs> I'm gonna the, go, gonna go doctor. with mom. So Nick's going with his mom. By the way, it's four to three as we come into this yeah, final one. This is one. a very important. This is a very important one. 
And let me tell you why. Because he comes from behind. A Florida man pulled over for his tinted windows. Authorities say he then asked for a doctor. Bang. Bingo. Dude, there's no correlation. Between those two things. He panicked. He panicked. He probably had something in the car or something. like I don't know. I mean, they probably found it what eventually, but that's not what the headline said. But What's Derek, it was a six to five victory today. Woo. What in the... And the comeback. All it. right. I don't think we have time for a house. I was going to say, I was going to say, I know we're, I know we're a little constricted on time, but yeah. gentlemen, I know we had to squeeze it in on a Thursday. Always. Thank you for including me in your fun. But again, Derek with another six to five victory this week, we will be back next week. Florida man, Mad Libs. We're out. Thanks. All right. That's Sam Speck with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on.